Now let's turn our attention to God's word. We're going to be today in Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. Either in your, um, your worship guide that you have the QR code, or the scripture will be on the screen. Or if you have old school and you've got your Bible in your lap, Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. The text says this. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. For he is the one spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, who said, A voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John had a camel garment with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then people from Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the vicinity of the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Therefore produce fruit consistent with repentance. And don't presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that God is able to raise up children for Abraham from these stones. The axe is already at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but the one who is coming after me is more powerful than I. I am not worthy to remove his sandals. He himself will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing shovel is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with fire that never goes out. Before going further, let's pray. Lord of all hopeful horizons, in your word of promise to our father Abraham, and in the promise of your word incarnate, Jesus Christ, you have given us a solid ground on which to build our lives. We offer you the toils and struggles of our days in faith that by your grace, they will become sources of hope for others who seek to walk in your ways. Amen. Think of how quickly gratitude could be sucked from our lives just based on the rhythms of life. Y'all, just last week, we were celebrating and giving thanks over turkey, collard greens and mac and cheese, yams. But we were really offering gratitude for what God has given us. That is one time within the year that we set aside to holistically as a people stop and give thanks, even though we're called to give thanks always. But we stop on that day, that day that we call Thanksgiving to offer gratitude, but as soon as Thursday was over, we had Black Friday. Not only Black Friday, but then that Monday comes Cyber Monday. So what happened to us? We turned from a people who were thankful to people who became rampant consumers. Am I right? Now, I didn't watch the news, but if Black Friday was anything like it has been historically, people were lining up outside in the middle of the night waiting for the store to open because they wanted to get their TV. 
they wanted to find that gaming system for their kids, and they would even fight you for it. They would even fight you for it. But one of the things it does, it exposes something in us, how easily we could go from a people who are giving thanks to people who now become rampant consumers. See, this idolatry, it was not and it is not a direct assault. This idolatry is more subtle. It's more subtle. It's sophisticated. Look with me at what the author James K.A. Smith has written concerning idolatry. He said, our idolatries are less like conscious decisions to believe a falsehood and more like learned dispositions to hope in what will disappoint. It's not believing a falsehood. None of us want to believe something that's a lie, but it's a learned disposition to, for us to place our hope in something that we know is going to disappoint us. This is why we need this season. This is why we need to remember this time of Advent that we started on last week. What is Advent? Advent means coming. We are looking at, for four weeks, this is the second week, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ the first time. But as followers of Christ, we're on the backside of and we are waiting for another coming. Jesus is coming back. Sometimes I don't think we live in light of the fact that he's going to return. But the truth is, he is coming back. And we need to remember him. Look to him and maintain our gratitude. Last week, we looked at active waiting. What does it mean to actively wait, not passively wait, as we look to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ? Active waiting, living by faith. Today, we are looking at hope. Placing our hope, not in the trinkets and things of this world, not in our family, but our hope that's in Jesus and Jesus alone. But what is hope? Hope is a force that enlivens us. I don't know if you've been around people who seem to not have any hope, and that's a sad situation, and there's just a gloominess on the face of a person who has no hope. But for the one who has hope, there is something that alivens us. It's not the same thing as optimism, believing that things are going to turn out well. It's the certainty that something makes sense, and it is worth the cost following Jesus. This makes sense. And it's worth my whole being to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, regardless of how it might turn out. But we also know how it turns out to follow Jesus. Just open the book. Just open the book. But so often we don't come to the book to see how things will turn out. See, our reason for hope as Christians is in the incarnation. Again, I'm using some theological jargon. What is the incarnation? Incarnation is simply the doctrine that in Jesus Christ, God has come in the flesh. He has come in the flesh. I don't know if we think about this often, y'all, but Jesus was a human. He had on skin, bones, he had blood. But unlike us, he was sinless. But he became a human. And because of this, we have hope. And we see in Jesus that Eden has been restored. 
What we see in Genesis with the fall of Eden, with Eden being marred by sin, with Jesus, Eden is now restored. The gifts of life, fullness, and future, once refused by Adam and Eve, are now offered to you and I who trust in the Lord Jesus. I believe this is what we see in Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. What do we have here? We have a man by the name of John the Baptist. He's on the scene. And the text says that he's in the wilderness. What is he doing in the wilderness? He's preaching. He's proclaiming and calling people to repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. He's giving this message because something is changing. Something is changing. A new advent had dawned. And so people must get prepared for what God is about to do. Friends, I, actually, I absolutely believe that we have lost in many ways the desire to proclaim to a world that is dying that they need to wake up. Because I believe many of us are also living under this, this fog that makes us sleepy. So we're not aware. And we say we're in Christ, but we look at so many people around us who are lost and dying. John was sensitive to what God was doing, and he goes to the wilderness, and he is calling people, you need to do something. You need to repent. See, during this season, it's okay to give gifts. It's okay to give gifts. It's okay for us to put lights on our house, Christmas tree in our in our living room or wherever you want to put it. It's okay to do those things. But if the work of God through Jesus Christ is lost in all of this, then what we're believing is a falsehood, just as James K.E. Smith has written. So what will we find that connects to this season of Advent in Matthew chapter 3? I believe one thing that we'll see is this. The first thing I want to put before us is this. Jesus is coming is a warning of judgment, but also an invitation to life and change. His coming is a warning of judgment, but also an invitation to life and change. Matthew chapter 3 verses 1 to 2 states this, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. In the text it says, In those days. What days? So I think it's important when we read scripture for us to ask the right questions. What days? Well, if we go back to the end of chapter 2, it lets us know the days that Jesus has been born and he's living in Nazareth. In those days, John goes to the wilderness and he begins to preach. Matthew introduces John as the Baptist. The Baptist. And he came preaching and proclaiming as God's herald and doing it in the wilderness. Now, again, we just rushed by these words, wilderness, but I believe it has great significance because according to uh, biblical tradition, the wilderness is where God would bring eschatological renewal or end time renewal. It's in the wilderness. It takes our minds back to what God would do with the nation of Israel as he brought them from, as he brought them from Egypt and take them, took, took them to the land of Canaan. 
how God would develop and renew the people in the wilderness. So John is in the wilderness now, and he had a message for his audience. This was a message for renewal. There had to be a change. Why? Because the king is here. John shows us that real change is possible through the coming one in Jesus. Just yesterday, I'm listening to a podcast, and I've been, I've been hearing a lot of people, and I don't know if you guys have, you, you, you're in conversation with people like this, but many people today just don't believe that there is anything that Jesus can offer them. There's nothing that he can offer them. And so they look to other things to find hope. But all of those things are empty. And so they got to find something else. But we trust in Jesus. There is hope. And so John comes to a people and he's letting them know that this opportunity for change is found in Jesus. And so he preached that the kingdom of heaven has come near. Y'all, the, kingdom of, of the, the kingdoms of this earth will not last. Please don't put your trust. Again, I'm not anti-American. Don't hear me say that. But please don't trust in this government. It won't last. Or no government of any country, it won't last. The only thing that's going to last is God and his kingdom. And this is what John comes and he preaches. The kingdom of heaven has come near. How has it come near? It's near because the king is here. Who is the king? Jesus. So who is welcomed into the kingdom? John lets us know those who repent. Those who repent. But what is repentance? Again, we, uh, I love what Cornell West has once said. He says, when we, when we don't define things, we just talk all around it. And we, again, we just throw words out there assuming that people know what we're talking about. But I think we need to define it. We need to define what repentance is. Repentance speaks of a change in one's thinking, but it also involves a change in our lives. It's just not cerebral, but what we know here needs to be fleshed out here. It's not a change of plans, intentions, or beliefs, but a change in the whole personality from a sinful course of action to God. Another way I've heard it stated by people is doing a 180, not a 360. 360, you get back to the same point. A 180 is I'm going in this direction. And I turn and go in the opposite direction. But I'm not just going in the direction for direction's sake. I'm turned towards someone. His name is Jesus. So what would happen if they did not change? Again, John is calling the people to change. Today, all across this country and the globe, somebody is standing up preaching a true gospel, calling people to repent, calling them to change. But what if they do not change? John says in verses 11 to 12, he says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but the one who is coming after me is more powerful than I. I am not worthy to remove his sandals. He himself will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing shovel is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with fire that never goes out. Judgment. Judgment. 
John is showing that life in, there, there is life inside of the kingdom. There is life. We are waiting for the day when Jesus returns, calling his people to himself, and we will not die, but we would live and live forever with new glorified bodies. That's inside of the kingdom, but outside of the kingdom is death. It's death. But what does true repentance look like? What does it look like? Right, again, we, we know it's a change of mind and a change in our behavior, but what does it really look like? I believe that Luke, the gospel writer, shows us. He said, he wrote in Luke chapter 3, verses 10 to 14, John is speaking, I mean, the people are speaking. He says, what then should we do? The crowds were asking him. He replied to them, the one who has two shirts must share with someone who has none. And the one who has food must do the same. Do you see the practicality of this repentance? It's fleshed out in how we live. Gift to people who have a need, right? But then he says, tax collectors also came to be baptized. And they asked him, teacher, what should we do? He told them, don't collect any more than what you have been authorized. In other words, stop stealing. Some soldiers also questioned him, what should we do? He said to them, don't take money from anyone by force or false accusation and be satisfied with your wages. By the way, I think in our day here in America, I think we are some of the most unsatisfied people walking the planet. We don't know how to be content. We're always measuring ourselves to the other person who may have more trinkets and think in order for me to have life, not knowing what these people are going through, but in order for me to have life, I need to have that. We're never satisfied. That's why iPhones can come out every single year. We get a 13, they hit them to 14. What are we saying? Whew, I need to get that 14. <laughs> but we do with everything. We do it with every single thing. But what Luke shows us in his gospel is that repentance is not generic. That there is fruit that is seen because of repentance. Now, again, we don't typically associate this season of Advent with judgment. We don't think of the Christmas season as also a time of judgment. But the Advent of Jesus calls us to make a choice. The advent of Jesus calls us to make a choice. Will we repent and choose Jesus or will we repent and choose judgment? Again, I know we put Jesus in a pamper, in a, in, in, in a, in a horse trough, and, 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 and we look at that and we just talk about sweet baby Jesus. <laughs> but we don't think about the implications of his coming because he didn't stay a baby. He grew as the God-man. What are you going to do with this Jesus? Will you choose him and receive life, or will you reject him and choose judgment? See, when we repent, we are saved from a false sense of aliveness. Why? Because our hope is in the one who deals with the issues that plague us, namely sin. Jesus can only deal with sin. Hope rescues us from a diminished life. So the people that John wrote to, they needed to see that God was at work and that they should prepare to meet this coming Messiah. He's on the scene. 
So he offers to the people, will you be judged or will you choose life? Because life only comes through knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. There was a great music composer that was by the name of Mendelssohn. He one day went to a cathedral in Europe. And he went to this cathedral that brought a brand new organ that was worth upwards of about a million dollars. And so this cathedral had a caretaker. Don't let anybody unauthorized play this organ. He took his job seriously. But in walks Mendelssohn. But the caretaker couldn't recognize him. And so Mendelssohn goes to the young man and he says, would you allow me to play this organ? The man says, sir, no one can play this organ. You can't. And Mendelssohn continues to press him like, man, would you, would you please allow me to play? I'll be careful. No, sir, you cannot play this organ. I must care for this. This is very expensive. But Mendelssohn wouldn't give up. So he asked this man again, and he, now being vexed, says, okay, you got one minute to play on this organ. And so Mendelssohn sat down, and he started playing. And when he played, this man had heard music like he had never heard before. He's like, oh, my goodness. So Mendelssohn finished playing, and the man goes up to him. He says, sir, what is your name? And he says, my name is Mendelssohn. Then the guy was like, oh, my goodness, I didn't even recognize who it was that was standing in front of me. I was preventing him from doing what he does best, all because I didn't realize who was in the cathedral. Friends, we ought to be embarrassed that we don't recognize the power and the presence of God among us. We ought to be embarrassed. Because I promise you he's working. As a matter of fact, my wife has to often remind me when I am, when my eyes are off of God and his work around me to realize that, oh man, I've taken my eyes off of him. I didn't even realize, but he has been working the whole time. I think it's so easy for us to take our minds and our eyes off of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, I agree with A.W. Tozer, who once said, there is a loss of the concept of majesty. There was a loss of the concept of majesty. We live in a time where there is such a low view of God. It's such a low view of God. People complain about God, but they don't come to the scriptures to see who God is. So they're complaining about a, a created God who is not God at all. We ought to be embarrassed when we don't recognize his power. But when we have a right view of God and see him in the person and work of Jesus Christ, and we respond to him by repenting, there is hope for change. Not just for the future, but for right now. Change can happen in my life right now. Change can happen in your life right now. But please don't associate change with coming up always. Yeah, God can throw you some money. He, yes, he can, because he owned it all. I mean, the little money he give us, that's like a penny. 
but don't always associate coming up with what I can get in my pocket. What about the joy that you've been lacking? What about a sense of peace, right? What about those things or the fruit of the spirit that Paul writes about in Galatians? See, our change when we trust in the Lord Jesus would be evidenced by external change. So the change that happens in my heart, you would see it as I'm living out in the world. This is what John is calling the people to do. But finally, John deals with some religious leaders that I think also speaks to us. And this is the last thing I want us to see. Is that growing up in a Christian home does not make us right with God. I will. Growing up in a Christian home, although good, does not make us right with God. John says in verses 9 to 10, and don't presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that God is able to raise up children for Abraham from these stones. The axe is already at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Before this, John calls the Pharisees and the Sadducees a brood of vipers. This is literally offspring of poisonous snakes. Why? Because these religious leaders put their hope and confidence in their ancestral link. And I'm going to digress here because I do believe we, not just white folk, black folk, anybody, we tend to view our ancestral link and think that we have uh, credence with God because of where we came from. It's age old. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were doing this. They saw themselves as sons of Abraham. Oh, we, we, we sons of Abraham. Like, we, we got juice. You know what I'm saying? We good, right? Y'all know who my daddy is? But being linked to Abraham did not give them immunity from God's outrage over the abuse of privilege. It didn't give them immunity. John told them, don't trust your heritage. Don't do it. For God was able to raise up children for Abraham, look at this language, from stones. Now, I know that sounds weird, but church, God is not constrained by the limits of natural possibility. I'm going to say that again. Y'all didn't ask for that, but I'm going to say it again anyway. <laughs> God is not constrained by the limits of natural possibility. God said in Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 27, look, I am the Lord, the God of every creature is anything what? Is anything too difficult for me? By the way, do you impose on God thinking that he can't do it because it's too difficult? I'll, thank you, brother, because I do it too. I think, God, you can't fix this. God, that's too far gone. I know there's no way you could do it. But the angel Gabriel also said to Mary, the mother of Jesus, in Luke chapter 1, verse 37, he says, for nothing is impossible with God. Why? Because God is all-powerful. 
Notice this, God. God created a man from dust. I don't know if we think about that. We, we quote it, but I, from dust. He created a whole human being, Adam. Then he took the ribs of a man and made a woman in the name of Jesus. From ribs. Huh, but think about that. We think God can't do this, but he created a human from dust and a woman from ribs. As a matter of fact, in one place, Jesus says, if you stop these from talking, rocks are going to cry out. The Bible is wonderful because the Bible talks about the inanimate world, the earth making noises and talking. As a matter of fact, even a donkey, a dumb donkey speaks. Again, is anything too hard for God? And so it was not a problem that these Pharisees and Sadducees come and they're in the line of Abraham. This is a good thing. This is a good thing because God's promise to Abraham stands. His promise to Abraham stands. And the promise can be found in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, where God says to Abraham, go from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. The problem with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they believed that they were accepted by God because of their bloodline. Because of their bloodline. But Jesus and the apostles inform us that we're not accepted by bloodline. We accept it by faith. This is what Paul would write in Romans 4, in Galatians. You're not accepted because of your bloodline. You're not accepted because you grew up in a Christian home, but you accept it because you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is what I do love. There were those who were circumcised because Abraham had been given a command later in Genesis to circumcise all of the males eight days old and up. This circumcision would mark them as people in the covenant community. What does it mean to be in the covenant community? It means that you're always in a space where you're going to hear the truth of God. This is the beauty of growing up in a Christian home. This is the beauty of it. Like you grow up in a Christian home, it doesn't mean that the kids are saved, but it does mean that you're going to be in an incubator where you're going to always be, if parents are faithful, to proclaim the truth of who the Lord Jesus is. But just because you grew up in a Christian home, you don't get to heaven by proxy. It doesn't mean that, oh, yeah, I grew up in one, I'm not following him but God is going to accept me anyway. And sadly, there are many people who think this way. Sometimes during Christmas, a person may want to decorate their house this way. They, they may want to take some boxes and they may want to wrap those boxes very, very beautifully, put a bow on top, take those boxes outside, and decorate the porch or the front of the house with these immaculately wrapped boxes with a bow. But the issue is there's nothing in the boxes. It's just decoration. And it's beautiful. 
right? I ride through my neighborhood and I see people putting in work. You know what I'm saying? Decorating their cribs. And I'll be sitting there thinking like, God bless you. <laughs> Russell ain't getting out there. Not doing it. But they're putting the boxes out there, right? Nothing's in them. But what if somebody comes one day and they want to steal the boxes? Now, uh, you get upset because you come on my porch and you violate it, but you're not too mad. Why? Because nothing was in the boxes. They were empty. There are lots of people who are well-wrapped, but nothing is going on inside of them. Nothing is going on inside of them. They, are, they look good on the outside, but they don't want nothing to do with God. They don't want nothing to do with him. They just well wrapped. But true and authentic Christian living starts on the inside. It starts on the inside. And it works its way outward. I love the church I grew up in. They would, the old church mothers would say, you better show some signs. You better show some signs. What they were saying is, if change is really taking place on the inside, I need to see the results of it. Show some signs. Now, the one thing I do love about as a church, we're a reformed PCA church, rests in what's called what we call covenant theology. Now, I'm not going to go too deep into it, but this is what this means. We believe that God is near and pays attention to children of parents who have placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe it. Why? Because one way Peter says this in Acts chapter 2, verses 38 to 39, it says, Peter replied, repent and be baptized each of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your what? Is the promise only for adults? It's for you and your children. And for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. We believe that parents who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and they have kids, adopted by birth or whatever, that now they're in this space where they're always hearing the truth of the gospel, that the Spirit of God is near. It doesn't mean he's not near to others, but he's near to those believing parents. Similarly to the way that God was near to those who were circumcised in Genesis. He's near. But as my friend reminded me this past week, many people have the form of godliness but deny its power. You see, many, uh, we, we, we need people to repent a child born in a Christian household, they have the same responsibility as everyone else who trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. Again, like I said before, no one gets into heaven by proxy. That child must repent and believe. But many people claim Christianity, but don't live out Christianity. So for those of us who are parents, right, as imperfect as we are, we must live out our faith before our children. They need to see us repent when we sin. Because Lord knows as adults, we sin mightily. We just have other names for it. I'm grown. That's what we call it. Mama, why did you? Because I'm grown. 
But our kids need to see us. They need to see us walk this faith out. They need to see our hope is in Jesus and that Jesus helps us to combat the emptiness that we feel today. I'll say this and I'm getting ready to stop. I have never in my life, and I, it, it is real, so I don't disparage this, but now it is no, we, we normalize talking about the m- mental health stuff. And I know I have some therapists and counselors in here, and we should. And yes, go to therapy. Take medication, right? Do those things, but also know that Jesus is near and that he will walk with you all through it. That you don't go to therapy and therapy and know Jesus. No, 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 no. Go to therapy. Trust Jesus. Trust Jesus. The reason we can do this, y'all, because Jesus came as a man. He knew what frustration felt like. He got angry. He was saddened. Things hurt him. But he embodied this life in the flesh. But Jesus ultimately went to the cross for us. He died and was raised from the dead. This is the Jesus that we proclaim during this Advent season. He is the one we proclaim. He is the reason for our hope. And so, friends, I ask you this again. Where does your hope lie? Where does your hope lie? Let's pray. Again, Lord of all horizons, in your word of promise to our father Abraham, and in the promise of your word incarnate, Jesus Christ, You have given us solid ground on which to build our lives. We offer you the toils and struggles of our day in faith that by your grace, they will become sources of hope for others who seek to walk in your ways. Amen.